0: Today's scripture readings come from Matthew 7, 1 through 5, and Jude 20 through 25. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now, all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I know of two more recent variants of this account, but I have the original from a good source. My dear friend Lance Howerton, uh, with whom uh, years ago uh, he was the camp director of the West Coast Centrifuge team, and I was the camp pastor, and it was the summer that that I met the uh, clowning and dancing instructor, whose name was Deanna Frederick best summer of my life, except for maybe last summer when I got to baptize her in the the Jordan. That was cool, too. But Lance is a dear friend. He was in our wedding. I was in his wedding. And he sent me this some time ago. And this is the original account. Uh, You may be familiar with it. I don't know. But I'm just going to read it as he sent it to me. And he talks about how great this story is, and then he says, Jim, this is a story told by my friend Glenn Thompson, a missionary to the Philippines. We were in a church planting conference together, and he shared this true-to-life experience. It's a great story that reminds us that things aren't always as they appear to be. Glenn shared that he had arrived early in the morning at the DFW airport, that's Dallas-Fort Worth, on his way to the conference up in Richmond, Richmond, Virginia. I'm assuming I IMB, I don't know. But Many of the eating places were closed except for this one. The line was long. Glenn decided to buy a Butterfinger bar from a vending machine. The place was crowded, but Glenn found a seat available at a small table occupied by a gentleman reading the newspaper. Glenn took the seat across from the man. The gentleman had the paper raised so Glenn could not see his face. Glenn began reading his Bible and going into his morning devotions. The man's hand slid under the newspaper and retrieved the Butterfinger. The man proceeded to tear the wrapper and eat a portion of the candy bar. The man put the half-eaten candy back on the table. Glenn was dumbfounded. He couldn't believe the man had the nerve to eat his candy bar without any acknowledgement. While Glenn was contemplating whether or not to say anything to the rude gentleman, he, the man, again slid his hand under the paper, took the candy, and ate the whole thing. He wadded up the paper and put it on the table. At that time, the man unfolded the newspaper and said hello to Glenn for the first time. Glenn tersely replied, good morning. The man went to buy something to eat. When he returned, he had a cup of coffee and a large sweet roll. Glenn saw that it was time to go to the gate to board his plane. Glenn decided that he wanted to teach that man a lesson about eating other people's food. So at that moment, Glenn took the man's coffee and took a big swallow from the cup. He then took the man's roll and took a big bite out of it. Glenn said that the man was so astonished he didn't even utter a word. Glenn said goodbye to the man and abruptly left, feeling that he had properly gotten his revenge. When Glenn boarded the plane and got to his seat, he took off his suit coat. As he was putting it into the upper bin, out of the inside pocket dropped his Butterfinger onto the seat. (laughs) At that moment, Glenn had realized that he had put the candy bar in his coat pocket and the Butterfinger on the table was already there when he sat down. Now, that's the end of the story, but I love what Lance put at the end of it. He said, Jim, I wonder what the other man's version of the experience was when he arrived at his destination and recounted the events of the morning. I can just see it now. He probably said, you know, the craziest thing happened to me this morning. A man came to my table, started reading his Bible, and before you know it, he was eating my food. So, (laughs) love that. How often do we judge people wrongly? And whether or not we're wrong, how often do we judge others when we should be working on ourselves? You know, Judging other people does not glorify God, it does not please God, indeed it displeases God. Which is why Jesus deals with it so concisely and, and, and clearly and starkly in the Sermon on the Mount. He's very clear, do not judge others for the degree that you judge others to that degree you will be judged yourself. Now he's not res- referring to the necessary judicial process that the courts go through with juries and all that. He's not talking about church discipline with you know some extreme situation with somebody you know who's involved in some significant sin that's just tearing the church apart, affecting the church in some way, maybe affecting the church's reputation you got to do something about that and maybe confront the person. Jesus himself talks about that in Matthew 18. Here Jesus is talking about being judgmental of others, being unnecessarily critical, fault-finding, self-congratulatory cutting of other people. You know what I'm talking about. Why do we judge others? And I, I say, why do we? You know, I didn't say, why do those people over there judge people? I appreciated Blake's uh, prayer where he was transparent enough to say, I know I do that. We all do that. But just because we <laughs> confess it together doesn't mean that we're, you know, uh, uh, blessed of that. I mean, we we still have to deal with this. And we do it much more than we want to admit Uh, but it's hard for us to admit it. We'd rather point it over there in somebody else's direction. Carlisle Marney, who was John Claypool's mentor, said this, many Christians define sin as the sum total of acts which they themselves do not commit. I thought that was great. We, every one of us, can be so judgmental. And why are we so judgmental? People will say, well, first of all, it has to do with insecurity. When you're insecure, you can soothe that insecurity by judging others. It makes us feel better. Another reason is, is because of what psychologists call projection. Someone has said it's projecting into that other person the faults that I fear lurk in me. I'll judge that other person rather than that same sin that I struggle with, that dark Place in my soul that I know lurks there. Phillips Brooks, the great preacher in New England, said, when you find yourself judging another person or another church, immediately you should look for what you judge in yourself or your own church. Think about when Jesus was in Capernaum and there was the woman caught in adultery and all these people wanted to stone her to death. And what did Jesus say? Let he who is without sin, what? Cast the first stone. Cast the first so- stone. And someone has suggested that they saw in her what they feared in themselves. That's projection. Final reason we can sometimes do it is just outright arrogance. Think of the parable Jesus said about the Pharisee and the tax collector where the Pharisee says, I thank you, God, so much that I'm not like that lowlife over there. I mean, the cheapest way to... to To increase my sense of superiority is to devalue that person over there. And that's what we do with our arrogance. You know, the worst thing these days, I think, with Christians, when we, I'm talking about us, you and me, when we judge other people, is it damages the church of Jesus Christ and how we are perceived. One of the most damaging perceptions of the church these days, and you might think that, well, it's justified or it's not justified doesn't matter. We contribute toward it when we judge other people. And it's when people say, I don't deal with church at all. I don't deal with church people because they are hypocritical and judgmental. And we've got to do what we can to battle back against that perception. You know, Jesus basically in the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? Why do you obsess over the speck in that person's eye when you have this colossal plank in your own eye? You know, who made you a qualified spiritual ophthalmologist. Now we got, you know, Tom McKinnon, but he wouldn't say that he's a spiritual ophthalmologist. None of us are. I love what Abbot Moses said. He's one of the great desert fathers of the 10th century. And he said, they who are conscious of their own sins have no eyes for the sins of their neighbors. I love that. Why? Because he's saying you've got to examine yourself first. That's the way to rescue yourself from judging other people the way you do not need to do but let's say that we do need to confront someone you know someone's definitely needing to be rebuked to use an old school word how do we do that without being judgmental and this is our chance to shift from what jesus says in the sermon on the mount and go to the often neglected letter of jude bless jude's heart it's kind of you know packed in there right between John's three letters toward the end and then the book of Revelation, just kind of packed in there. And unfortunately, we don't give it sometimes the shrift that we should because it's got great stuff in there. There was a legitimate concern that Jude had about a particular church. We're not sure exactly where it was, but we do know, in a sense, what was going on. There was some terrible, destructive behavior that was going on due to some really, really terrible falsified teaching of the gospel and of scripture itself and and here Jesus is saying you know you've got to go confront somebody like that Jude is saying you've got to go confront somebody like that but can you do that without being judgmental well you've got to and Jude helps us with this Jesus never said don't go confront someone he said no sometimes you've got to do that and you've got to do that in with the goal of restoring that person and their relationship with God, with other brothers and sisters. And do it in a way that's not judgmental. But you've got to examine yourself first. So let's look at the, what counselors would call the presenting problem. First of all, let's look at Jude 3 and 4. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write you about salvation that we all share. I was going to talk about that. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because what? And here's the presenting issue. Some ungodly people have wormed their way into the churches. I love that. They've wormed their way into the churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. There's terrible immorality going on that's causing divisiveness. It's destroying that... Fellowship, and how awful it is. Let's look at this uh, imagery that you have in verses 11 through 13. What sorrow awaits them, these people who are sinning. For they follow in the footsteps of Cain who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. It's the first time I've ever seen shipwreck as a verb. They can shipwreck you. They are dangerous to you and your walk and your witness. And the imagery just gets even more amazing, you know. Uh, In fact, let's go to the next one. Let's go to, yeah. He says they are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. He just goes through this. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. Is he finished? No, a couple more images. They're like wild waves of the sea churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. And finally, they are like wandering stars doomed forever to blackest darkness. I mean, Jude is saying this is serious, serious stuff, serious sin that is going on. And he's basically saying later on, these people need to be confronted well, okay, Jude, we're going to go after them. We're going to go confront them. How do we do this? What's our strategy? you got to have a good strategy, right? Well, first let me just read the key verses of Jude 20 through 23, but then we're going to break it down. Let me just read this. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life, in this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is, wa- is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Okay, now, that's, that's what he says, but really, it's a seven-step strategy. I mean, it's really well laid out, but I want you to watch this, and, and, and I'm kind of listing them a little bit, and I'm contemporizing them just a little bit based on what the original uh, Greek says here. So let's go through this. Here's here's the seven-step strategy. First of all, build each other up in the Holy Faith. When you're going to go confront these people who are in sin, but you want to do it in a way that's not judgmental, what do you do? First of all, build up each other in the Holy Faith. Go to the next one. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, number three, await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to the next one keep yourselves safe in God's love. Number five, show mercy to those wavering in faith. Number six, rescue those who might face ultimate judgment. And finally, show mercy even to those who are the leaders of false teaching and immoral living, but do so with caution. Now, very, very interesting I want if, if there's nothing else I want you to know about, go to the very next one here because I want to highlight the first four. The majority of these, four out of the seven, okay? Look at those first four. This seven-step strategy in confronting that other person who is lost in sin. Who are those first four steps aimed at? Is it the sinners that you're going to confront Who's it aimed at? Those of us who are going. (laughs) Jude is saying, look at yourself first of all. Get yourself straight before you go. Prepare yourself. Examine your own sin and your own life before you're even going to go and show your concern for their sin. Build each other up in the holy faith. What does that mean really? When it says in the holy faith, really the key word there is holy, the beautiful, beautiful, Hebrew word, kadosh, kadosh, is the word for holy. And it means other than, unique from, totally different from. It's saying build each other up in the holy faith. that is. In other words, what it's saying is when you're following Jesus and you're going to go confront someone, be ready to do it in a way that really shows how unique Christianity is and also how unique your beliefs are. Stand firm in your unique beliefs. But in order to do that, encourage one another, build one another up in that. That's great. You get together, you pray for each other before you go out and confront. That's what it's saying there. Do, make sure you do this in a way that's uniquely Christ-like and Christ-following. Secondly, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, my goodness, that means what? Be sure that you pray that the Holy Spirit will guide you, will give you the words to speak to that person, that the words that you speak will help and that the Holy Spirit will work through you to what? Convict that person, old old school word, but it's still a great word. Convict that person of the sin that they're going through right now. Pray in the power of the Spirit. And then what? Await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we await the mercy for Christ whenever we sin. Await for that on behalf of that person you're going to go talk to, that they might receive that mercy as well and see you as a merciful agent of that grace of Jesus Christ. And finally, keep yourselves safe in God's love. Protect yourself in God's love so that you can pass on that protective love to that person who obviously needs it because they're dying spiritually. But check out yourself first. And then it goes on. Show, and and look, key words mercy particularly show mercy to those wavering okay you're you're finally ready you're prepared you go and show mercy and then you want to you do it with the heart of rescuing them from what could be ultimate judgment you know at, at the very presence of god almighty himself and show mercy even to the real bad folks who are really the ones who are stirring the pot with all this, who are the, really the leaders in this. So that's great. But if anything else, I would want you to remember that the first four of those seven, before you go, before you want to judge someone anyway, and it's not justified, well, that's bad enough. But when you know that there's a point where you need to go and confront someone, rebuke someone, but do it in a way that's not judgmental, follow this way. First of all, examine yourself sometimes you might be called with some people who really could face some serious consequences and what we need to do is to look at them through grace giving eyes through the lenses of really the way jesus wants us to look upon them and we've got to start by looking at our own faults, our own vulnerability to the same kind of sin that they have, because it's so easy for us going back to project onto them, right? So we don't have to deal with those same vulnerabilities that you and I have. have got to start with ourselves. Now I'm going to close with a parable that's not in the Bible. Jesus didn't say it, and, and I just read it one time, and I don't remember where I got it, but, but I, I gave it a... a title and it's the parable of your window the parable of your window and it's very brief let me just read it a young couple moved into a new neighborhood the next morning while they were eating breakfast the young woman looked out their window and saw her neighbor hanging the washing on the lines outside the young woman frowned and said that laundry is not very clean She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry detergent. Her husband looked on and remained silent. Every time her neighbor hung her washing out to dry, the young woman made the same kind of comments. Doesn't know how to clean, needs to have better soap, wonder what else she doesn't clean well in the house. A month later, the woman was surprised to see such a nice clean wash on the line And said to her husband, Look, she's finally learned how to wash correctly. I wonder what she finally did. The husband replied, It's what I finally did. I got up early this morning and cleaned our window. (laughs) Maybe we need to clean our window. Let's pray together. I want want to ask you to to meditate on this for just a moment. And in a spirit of prayer and and grace, think of someone whom you have struggled with uh, wanting to judge, even enjoying judging them for whatever reason. Someone you you might not know, know very well. It might be a group of people, a type of people. Or it might be someone you know very well. But you need to stop. It's not pleasing to God. It's not glorifying to God. And if nothing else, your goal should be to restore and reconcile. Who would that person be? Who would that people group be? Who is someone who you tend to judge way too much even when you don't know the full story? And even when you don't know how you might have been if you had been in the same circumstances as that person those people and i would just like to ask that you silently pray that you be better at examining yourself first and looking through the window of grace will you do that for just a moment Lord, forgive us, because sometimes we treat it like an amusing pastime. God, help us when we do it that way. Teach us to learn to pray first, that the Spirit would work through us, that we would know that we're protected by your love, but that we so desperately and passionately want to, to share that protective love to those that we either want to judge or whom we need to confront, but not in a judgmental way. Help us to see people the way Jesus always did. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen.